Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and we are waist deep (laughs) in our incredible series, a mature apostolic prophetic series. And man, do we have an episode for you today. Prophetic Acts and Canadian Religion. Prophetic Acts and Canadian Religion. We've been getting such incredible feedback from these messages. We've gotten great response on this podcast and people are starting to be able to piece together why, and, and we've been kind of honing in on Canada as a bit of our case study uh, in the latter part of this series, uh, and why we haven't seen national breakthrough with 30 plus years of prayer, gathering, protocols, prophetic acts, doing everything we know to do, why the nation has continued on a trajectory of getting worse and not seeing the fulfillment of God's call and plan for our nation. People are starting to connect the dots and and today is going to be a big one for you. Now, first, let me get this out of the way. I believe in prophetic acts. (laughs) And some of you already are thinking in your mind, isn't there a prophetic act? You're alluding to Paul in the New Testament and you've got this going through your mind. And I do believe in prophetic acts, but maybe not the way that you are thinking. And and there's good reason for that. I will lay biblical uh, basis and you can be delivered from this type of religiosity that has laid waste to Canada, kept the church in apathy and not seeing the breakthrough that we could because the kingdom of God is like a tree that grows and dominates the world around it. So here in Canada, I like to say that prophetic acts have become a little bit of the religion of the prophets. You attend any gathering or or mainly charismatic events and you see almost a default setting of automatic entering into uh, repeating reconciliation over things, um, uh, certain symbolic acts that are meant to unlock something and, and I'll get into all of that because I, I know this will be triggering for you. You know, doesn't, don't prophetic acts unlock things in the spirit that make things happen? You, the answer might surprise you. I, I want to start with this principle and hit it kind of head on. But prophetic acts were actually never meant to be a formula to get God to do something. It's important that I mention we're coming at this from a New Testament technology, a New Testament paradigm, not an Old Testament paradigm, because the two are very different. And, uh, and we've laid a good foundation on that already. But prophetic acts were never meant to be some kind of formula to unlock God, as if God is holding back revival, uh, God is to bring the breakthrough, and if we enter in the right prophetic password or the right prophetic formula. Maybe God will hear and come down and and change everything. And, And so we just continue to repeat these prophetic acts in our gatherings, in our prayer meetings, and we assume that maybe we can awaken God. And you begin to ask the question, is the Lord deaf? Have we, haven't we done enough? Shouldn't we have seen a, a response? 
at this point and you're really seeing <laughs> the birthplace of charismatic religiosity. Doing something over and over again, some people could use the word insanity, but doing something over and over again, expecting a result but seeing none, we enter into the practice of religion. The other thing that's important to note is oftentimes we're using prophetic acts as a formula to try to get God to do something he's already told us to do. Here's where the spiritual apathy and laziness emerges, where if I can just perform this act that I feel led to do, you know, then God is going to take care of the harvest. God is going to bring breakthrough in the nation. Suddenly everything will change and, and all of our provinces will be on fire for God. And very few take a, an objective critical thought process at what have we accomplished through these acts of mysticism and really things that border uh, somewhat on paganistic practice. Doing rituals and certain actions to try to get something to happen for us. I know that was loaded right there and I'd encourage you to keep watching this because I'm going to unpackage all of this, especially as it pertains to some of the New Testament scriptures uh, you might be thinking of. A few years ago, I saw a typical charismatic meeting, and I am charismatic. I'm a kingdom guy, so I'm, I'm all of it. Grew up Pentecostal, charismatic, kingdom guy. And I saw this particular event happening in the U.S., and it was all the big names that were there. And uh, these guys, a few of the leadership gathered on the stage, uh, invited by this particular woman. I didn't know who she was, but I knew who these leaders were. And I want to start by prefacing this, that each one of those leaders on stage, with the exception of the woman who I did not know, I have great respect for. I do not feel they live or minister from a place of error. Each one of them I would consider to be giants in the faith. So this is not a knock on their ministries or their doctrine or anything like that. I, I know, and you may know, how you can get caught up in something on a stage, lights, camera, action, you're invited to the stage, and, and we kind of do these things sometimes, and then we look back with a little bit of regret, and we've seen that over and over again in the body of Christ. So this is not a criticism of them. I want to focus in on just the act. And this woman was invited to the stage to bring the staff of of Gandalf, <laughs> uh, if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, and uh, and and this was going to be, you know, the famous scene that many many believers use, where Gandalf, uh, who is a wizard, plants the staff in the ground and says, "You shall not pass to the this massive fiery monster demon." Uh, th this is a scene in the movie Lord of the Rings. And so they asked her to bring the staff of Gandalf because she had a, a revelation uh, that they were to do this prophetic act. And, and here's the part I want you to hone in on that would end racism in America. <laughs> okay, so this act on this stage at this conference is going to end and break the back of racism in America. And, and they gathered around this staff, and, and this woman led this prophetic act. And I don't know if all of these generals on the stage were in agreement, partial agreement. I don't know. But they did this prophetic act and sort of announced to the congregation that now racism in America is dead. Ah. <laughs> 
it's, uh, it's the very reason I'm discussing this in, in this series, is that not from a place of I'm not knocking their faith or, or I don't have a view that the things we do are all ineffective, but for anybody who understands sociology or what it takes to turn a nation, what it takes to change a nation, uh, that one is a hard one to swallow, I'll word it that way. And then on top of that, you have a very, it's almost a reckless uh, way of doing ministry because you have the, the body of Christ that looks on and they think, there it is. This is how we solve national issues. This is how we change nations. This is how we fulfill the great commission of Jesus is we perform these prophetic acts and what you find out is this is nowhere in the New Testament. It has absolutely nothing to do with impacting a nation. We have no track record or history of it ever accomplishing anything close to winning a nation for Christ. It has nothing to do with the methods Jesus used or the early apostles. It just doesn't. And I, I'm going to be really upfront about saying that. And what we end up doing is misleading or leading the body of Christ into spiritual apathy and laziness and mystical practice that borders on paganism. This is just the reality. And, And I can take you down the road to where this ends up when you get over into Africa and you see certain cultures and their landscape, there are churches, massive churches. One in particular, you may know the pastor's name, where they bring their combs to church. Uh, It wouldn't do me much good, but they bring their combs to church and they comb their hair forward like this. And it's a prophetic act of removing the demons out of their minds. Rather than discipling people, rather than the labor of transformation, the labor of working on people uh, to a point of breakthrough, we have this kind of stuff going on that originates in mysticism and paganism. It just does. And so the reality is, and this would be the second principle I want to give, that prophetic acts don't change nations. Prophetic acts don't change nations. No matter how many times you gather people together, no matter what kind of synchronicity of, of, of signs and wonders are taking place, prophetic acts don't change nations. And this is really important because we've greatly misled the Canadian church into thinking that if we can just gather again and, and reconcile again and drag up Canada's shame again and perform certain key formulas in a mystical way, this will get God to move and bring in the harvest. What have we done to the gospel? So what, what you end up seeing at various venues is we, we will now use the practice of mysticism to deal with the government. If we don't like our government, we're wrestling with the Canadian government. We have prophetic acts that, we, that will deal with that. Now, you're, you're already wondering about the New Testament. Let me begin to ease into that. Principle three that I want to highlight is prophetic acts are not are absolutely not a New Testament method of discipling nations and fulfilling the commission of Jesus. Okay? Prophetic acts are not New Testament methods of discipling nations and fulfilling the commission of Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus didn't go around performing prophetic acts. Jesus went around performing actual acts. It says he only did what he heard and saw the Father doing. Jesus was a man of action. Yes, he would pray. 
he would see and hear, and then he would go and do exactly what he saw the Father doing. It's the same in the book of Acts. It's not the the book of prophetic Acts, but it's the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit and the book of the Acts of Apostles. It's what they did. This is a power gospel. Paul was very intentional about this. You see an emphasis when you read the entire New Testament, the methods by, by way that they reached people had nothing to do with prophetic actions that would unlock something to get God to come down and do what Jesus had commissioned us to go and do. So there is no New Testament emphasis or evidence of a prophetic act causing God to do something, making God's hand move to do something. The only time we see that God is a responder of certain things is when it's in the realm of prayer and petitioning the Lord, and that's a different subject. But prophetic acts, I want to give you the answer now. You're asking, okay, what are they good for? And you're thinking of New Testament prophetic acts. Prophetic acts actually were not meant to force the hand of God. You're not contending to make revival happen. If we gather enough, if we do enough protocols and formulas, revival will suddenly appear and all of our problems will be solved. Prophetic acts by New Testament standards, through New Testament prophetic technology, uh, prophetic acts were meant to be a sign and point to something as an illustration. (laughs) This is right up there with a prophetic painting or, or seeing something or visions and dreams. It was just meant to point to something. So for example, Some of you who are watching, you might be thinking about Jesus having turned the the water into wine. This wasn't to move the hand of God to do that. This was to point to and prophetically foreshadow not only the wine, the blood being salvation, which some people believe, but also what I believe, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the new wine that would be poured out in Acts chapter 2. So it was foreshadowing something coming. It was pointing to something. A prophetic act is nothing more than a sign to direct people's attention to something. So when you're at many of these charismatic meetings and they say, you know, we did this prophetic act and there it's done. Canada shall be saved. Canada is now saved. This is an absolute abuse and misuse of what prophetic acts were meant to be. As an expression of prophetic people, they were meant to be signs, wonderful illustrations. And I've been in meetings where I've seen Holy Spirit-led prophetic acts that not even everybody notices, but they are signs. They are pointing Uh, fingers towards what God is going to do, and we can even pray into it. But again, being used as a formula, uh, being used as some kind of passcode to, to move God is what is bordering on paganism. And we see this in its origins and its roots. So we see that example of Jesus. Now, some of you are thinking about Agabus. <laughs> Agabus tied his own hands and feet with the Apostle Paul's belt, and Agabus is a prophet, okay? He ties uh, his own hands and feet with Apostle Paul's belt as the Spirit warned him of his upcoming arrest and imprisonment, okay? Imprisonment. So here it is, a sign pointing. This act didn't make Paul get arrested. This act wasn't to prevent Paul from being arrested. And I'm going to take the time to read this passage because you're going to see it here. And this is the only time Throughout the New Testament, you have Jesus turning water into wine, and you have this right here. 
And I even find it funny if you were to do a search on this, you'll find lots of prophetic acts happening in the Old Testament, and there are reasons for that due to the prophetic technology that was used at that time, and how God entered the earth to do something. But in the New Testament, you will see uh, only these two that are obviously just marker points pointing to something. Here it is in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 to 12. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So he's a prophet, but a New Testament prophet. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. <laughs> Imagine doing that in one of our gatherings today. Uh, but he's, again, it's just pointing to something that is going to take place. Now, when he heard these things, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, you see, they tried to act on the prophetic act. <laughs> that we can stop this thing. This is what the prophetic act is for. But it says, So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Look at Paul's response. Paul gives very little, and, and this is alluded here, but he gives very little weight to this prophetic act that's done. Notice that it doesn't steer him contrary to the will of God. Notice that he didn't take this prophetic act and say, okay, based on this, I'm going to change my plans, or based on this, this means I'm going to do this. There was, Paul gives absolutely no directive weight to a prophetic act. In fact, he's a little bit carefree, I think, when he says, you know, listen, not only am I willing to be bound, you can, you can demonstrate being bound. I'm willing to do that, but I'm even willing to die. And the conclusion was not the prophetic act be done, but they said the Lord's will be done. That's it. That's it. So what we have happening is a new form of charismatic religiosity in Canada that is keeping the Canadian church bound in apathy, um, um, spiritual laziness, unable and having forgotten how to reach people right where they are all around us because we attended the prayer meeting, we did some prophetic acts, and we say there, Canada shall be saved. And when nothing happens, we gather again, and we do the same things over and over again. And we've been doing this for 30 plus years. And let me tell you, that this is no accusation against anybody, but these events generate big money. Even though we don't see a, a fruitful outcome in the nation, we don't see laborers equipped, laborers sent out. You see evangelism very much minimized. We have mystical gatherings hoping that if we can just use the right prophetic formula, maybe God, maybe we'll have arm wrestled with God enough and contended. Maybe he will come down and fix our nation. What a tragedy. And when you get into Isaiah and you look at the Bible from start to finish as a whole, you begin to recognize the things that are actually close to God's heart. 
the things that actually mean the most to him, the actions and spirituals, let's call them, that he's really calling us to. What is the fasting and the spiritual that God prefers? What is pure and undefiled religion? What are some actions that we can begin to do now that translate down to a local church level, to a discipleship level, to an evangelistic level, to a reaching your neighbor's level? Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse 5. And this is it right here. What is the spiritual? If we're going to do acts, what does God prefer? Is it a fast like this that I choose? This is God talking. A day for a person to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, a spiritual practice? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose? Now God is going to talk. Is this not the fast that I choose? Here's what God prefers. Of all of the spirituals, of all of the acts, of all of what he wants us to do with our time on this earth, of all of what our resources should go to, of all of what we should equip and train for and gather for, is this not the fast that I choose to release the bonds of wickedness, to undo the ropes of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free, and break every yoke? Is it not to break your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, if you do these things, then, (laughs) here comes revival, then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will spring up quickly. If you want to see your nation healed, if you want to see recovery, if you want to see recovery on the streets, in your cities, in your provinces, in the nation. God says, this is the acceptable fast that I choose. This is the high point of Christianity. Not just to gather and practice mysticism and do it over and over again and and drag Canada's national shame from one event to another, hoping that we can appease God somehow. And then he will relent and bring some kind of revival that fixes everything. My friends, you have minimized the gospel to to gatherings in building. You have minimized the glory of this gospel. It is not just a gospel of gathering. It has always been a gospel of scattering. It has been a gospel of people trained, equipped, discipled, sent out to where they are, in the streets, in the marketplace, in the workplace. As long as you restrict the gospel to that, the nation will continue on the trajectory it is into more wickedness, not because God doesn't love us, not because God doesn't love the nation, but because our people are not out there. We are not where people are. We are not uh, taking on the image of the laborer, going out into the field and reaching the harvest. As long as we restrict God and this glorious kingdom, to waiting in a building, as long as we're just withholding that from society, society continues to perish simply by virtue of our own absence. 
That's all it is. I'm giving a call today for the body of Christ to refocus, especially in Canada, as we will continue to lose our nation because of our absence. There are people dying. There are people in need. There are the poor that can be fed. This translates down to a local church level. We can evangelize. We can still reach people. I'm calling the Canadian church higher with this message today. We must return to our labor. We must return and honor this gospel that Jesus Christ died for, that we could reach people. God said, is this the fast I choose? Actually, here's what's closest to my heart. We need to repent of our charismatic religiosity. God bless you. Coming up next week at Revival Culture, without the presence of the person of Jesus really is more religiosity. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV.